Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by the new Squarespace. Squarespace introduces a new content management system, making it easier and faster to create a high-quality website or blog, plus mobile responsive designs with automatic device scaling and more than 50 other new features. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com slash twip and use the offer code twip10. This week on Twip, a special interview episode with litigator Ed Greenberg. He's a, uh, a lawyer out of New York City, and also Mr. Jack Resnicki. He's a photographer, an educator, and an author, also out of New York City. They're joining me to discuss one of the issues that really, really hammers on photographers these days, and that's copyright, and specifically model releases. These are the guys that co-authored the book, Photographer's Survival Manual. It's a legal guide for artists in the digital age. It's published by Lark Photography Books. And they're also the guys behind thecopyrightzone.com, which is a resource for photographers looking for legal answers. One of the cool things in this interview is, uh, you know, not only do these guys go into what makes a good release, but they also perform a little skit, kind of a Judge Judy style skit uh, between a judge and a photographer as the photographer tries to defend using a digital model release. So give it a listen. Okay, I'm here with Mr. Ed Greenberg. Uh, he's a he's, he's a, a litigation guy, lawyer out of New York City. He's a, a litigation guy, lawyer. Uh, that's your official title from me. I'm giving you that. A litigation guy, lawyer, thingamajig out of that's, New York City. That's the uh, name on my door. Litigation yeah. guy, lawyer. There no. you go. I'm gonna have to copyright that. Uh, but he has. Uh, you represent Ed. You represent photographers, models, and other creative illustrators. And so this is just sort of your your vertical that you hit with this stuff, right? Uh, I don't have a vertical leap at all. So <laughs> let me just get that out of the way. Uh, I've represented uh, models, photographers, illustrators, um, uh, and graphic designers for over three decades, which makes me sound very old, doesn't it? No, actually, that sounds great for a lawyer. I would I'd love to have that kind of re- experience. And then sitting next to you over there, you guys are, I, I'm envisioning you, both of you, Jack Resnicki, I'm envisioning both of you guys sitting in some beautiful high-rise tower in New York City overlooking, you know, a busy street. And, uh, is, is that what's going on there? Yes. This is, a, it's my office. It's a landmark building and uh, it's on 51st Street and the walls are covered with uh, the work of uh, lots of great photographers and illustrators. And uh, including one of mine. And there's and on the wall that no one can see, there's a Jack Resnicki photograph. <laughs> awesome. So then let's introduce Jack. So Jack Resnicki, you're a photographer, you're a lecturer, you're an author, you're a man that never sits still for too long. You're always on a plane. How you doing, Jack? Not too bad. Not too bad. Ha- happy good. to be back in New York and just sitting down. Guy takes more Ritalin than anybody you know. <laughs> <laughs> Mainlining Ritalin. Well, guys, thanks for coming on. So I had Jack on a while ago, and we were... My condolences. <laughs> it was great. It was great. He was talking about... We did a, a a show or an interview where we were specifically focusing on copyright and how it applies to photographers and the do's and the don'ts and all that good stuff. And the audience just went 
wild over it, specifically because there's so much misinformation and disinformation out there about this topic. And photographers generally just want to know, how do I protect myself, whether I'm shooting and I'm putting it on Facebook or I'm shooting and it's for a model that I'm, you know, I found on Model Mayhem or whatever. There's just so much stuff around that. So I want to get into it with both of you guys and see if we can't answer some of those questions. Well, the thing that keeps Jack and I uh, busy and the reason that we had plenty of source material to write a book and we do lots of lectures. We're going to be at the Hallmark School of Photography next week, uh, this week is that the web, surprise, surprise, has led to uh, so much disinformation, so much tribal knowledge among photographers uh, who rely on things that they're reading on the web from non-lawyers, non-experts, that they rely on to their, as they say in law, to their detriment. They don't know what they're talking about. So since the title Mythbusters is already being used on TV, what we do most of the time is demythify a lot of the myths that concern uh, photography and registration. And most of the misinformation is produced on the web and photographers have an inordinate desire uh, and willingness to rely on the legal knowledge of other photographers, which is, of course, totally illogical because photographers would not call other photographers if they had a dental problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of photographers will they'll get into it and they'll say, OK, well, you know, there's there's, there's model releases online. I'm just going to go grab one and change the company name and, and give that to my model and call it done. Is that a is that a good strategy? Yeah, it, it no because what what happens is good for me it makes me money. Yeah, because you don't you don't find out it's a problem until you got a problem, and and the problem with those things are you don't know if they're well written or if they're written correctly. I mean, one of the big misconceptions is that one model release might cover everything. You could if you're in another state, that state might have very specific laws covering model releases. Model releases are covered by state law as opposed to copyright, which is federal law. Um, and some of the things we see, it's it, the one thing I always hear all the time, Ed, and you hear it every time too. This has never happened to me before. Yeah, that, I've been doing this for years. As soon as somebody starts a sentence that way, I know there's a big problem coming up, and my wife is keeping her fingers crossed that there's a big fee coming up. Yeah. The, yeah. the fact that someone, whether it's a photographer, an illustrator, or a model agency, has engaged in a bad practice for 10, 20, or 30 years. And it hasn't blown up before doesn't make it a good business practice. Uh, we provide certain release forms in our book, but the, the the critical thing to know about a model release is very simply: if you have a signed, written model release that is specific to the particular job in your pocket, the odds are that you'll never have a problem. In the amount of time it takes to get a signed, written model release. Uh, I'm sorry, in the time it takes you to think about whether you should get one, you would have had one already. You could have got one. You know, and there's there's apps out there, too. I want to run this by both of you guys. There's apps that you can get for Android or your iPhone that allow you to fill out what looks seems like a, a a good model release. And you snap a photo of the model, and they have to sign it with their finger and all that stuff. What do you guys say about those? Are those are – those, could they stand up in a court of law? Well, well, why don't why don't we run a a um, um, a little thing here where Ed uh, asked me questions on the stand about my model release that I had done 
uh, on an app. Ed, you wanna you wanna question me? I'm I'm on the stand. I've, I I swear to tell the truth, yep. the whole truth. Oh, awesome! Do it. Do uh, it. We're gonna role play this. Ready? Do it. So we're we're gonna assume that Mr. Resnicki has a model release. He has no paper model release. He has an electronic model release on an app, right? And everybody's using it. Okay, here we go. Okay. Mr. Resnicki, have you ever heard of a program called Photoshop? Oh, yeah. yeah. And are you familiar with Photoshop? Definitely. And I'm not a professional photographer, but I understand from my nine-year-old who uses Photoshop that he could put my head on Selma Hayek's body using Photoshop, right? It it would be a little disgusting, but yes, you could could do do that. And he is taking pictures of the family on the moon. We have a picture. He's got a picture in the room of our entire family in the, on the moon. Yes, I do that all the time where I take a family picture and maybe one of the kids uh, doesn't look good in this shot, but he looks good in that shot. So, yes, I'll, so I'll you, move one head from one so to another. So you, you manipulate what's in that image. Yes. And, in fact, you teach it Photoshop, don't you? Uh, yes, I teach it Photoshop world. And... Last year at Photoshop World in Las Vegas, there were, I don't know, five or 6,000 people learning how to use Photoshop, right? Correct. Correct. Now, how many people would you say in the United States, professional and non-professional, know how to use Photoshop? Wow. That's a, that's a huge number these days. It's such a popular program. Adobe such a successful company. I, I'd have to guess... Uh, I'd have to guess into six numbers somewhere. And how hard would it be for someone to manipulate and move a comma or change a word? I mean, you're telling me about these photographers who could put pictures of me and my family on the moon, could take George Bush, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson, and Abraham Lincoln and have them sitting playing poker at the same table. Yeah. Right? Yes. So... My client, the model here, she doesn't have a paper model release. You don't have anything with her signature on it. What you have is an electronic form, which you are more than capable of manipulating in any way, shape, and form you like. Isn't that right? Whoops. Okay. <laughs> now, okay. That's, that's real life in a courtroom. That's what happens. So... When photographers read articles or illustrators read articles on the web, they don't equate these, you know, cutesy, warm and fuzzy and seemingly simple apps to how they're used in real life. Now, this I haven't even addressed to the content. I haven't addressed, I'm sorry, the content of the, I don't know what the app said. I don't know what the, what the release says. But sometimes, and this is a classic example, paper is best if you live two miles from a railroad station and you have to get on a train every day to commute and you need a car that starts every morning and gets you to the railroad station so you can catch your train no matter how much money you had you'd be more likely to buy a simple reliable car than a uh, ferrari right so some of the electric you know what the dents they put it when they park it there you go paper is much more difficult to alter paper is simpler it's more difficult to forge, and it works to protect not only the photographer but the model. So our model releases indicate that each side has a copy of the model release. It's very clear, and there's no question of altering the model release because it's more difficult to alter paper. By the way, photographing 
someone signing a model release, depending on the circumstances, may have a lot of value or absolutely zero value. Because under some circumstances, the model can claim, yeah, I signed this release. And yes, I was in this photographer's studio on June 2nd. And yes, I signed releases for the photos he took on June 2nd. But the photographs that he's showing the court were not taken on June 2nd. See, would anybody go as far as forge a model release? We've had cases of forged model releases. Uh, My favorite case has to do real quick with a a model who at the time was about the number three or number four uh, highest paid model in the world. And she had, ever since she got into the business at age 16, had always signed her name, I'll make up a name, the uh, initial A instead of Alice, and it would be A uh, Bully Johnson. Yeah. Every one of her model releases was signed A Bully Johnson. From the time she was 17 years old, no matter who she was shooting for, A Bully Johnson. And she came to me because a very, very large uh, company was using her image all over the world uh, without a release. And the I wrote my usual death letter, and the company was all about all ready to settle. And they said, okay, we're fine. We just need a New York attorney to sign off on this. And all of a sudden, a New York attorney appears and says, Mr. Graham, your client's not getting a dime. I have a release in my hand. I said, really? You have a release signed by my client? He says, yes. I said, I'll tell you what. I'll bet you six cases of your favorite adult beverage that what you have is a forgery. And the lawyer gets all bent out of shape. And he says, are you accusing me of forging a document? <laughs> and I said, no, I'm just saying that whatever you're holding is a forgery. And he says, and how do you expect to prove that? And I said, okay, before you send it to me, I'm going to send to you my client's divorce papers, vouchers from the last five years, a contract that she signed with a large gene company, and a copy of her lease. And you're going to see that every single one of her vouchers and everything that has to do with the modeling business and every legal document that's ever been filed in a court is signed in a particular way. Now, before I send that to you, how is yours signed? And he says, well, the one I'm looking at says Alice Bully Johnson. I say, good, you got a forgery. And I sent them all the papers with the court seals. And what had happened, long story made slightly shorter, was that when the ad agency realized that they screwed up, someone at the ad agency forged it. Because they knew that they were going to be on an unemployment line. Yeah. But it was paid Did that lead to a larger settlement because of the forgery? You betcha. Ugh. Wow. I, gotta tell you, I, I love these these interviews because I feel like George Burns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know you know about ninety percent of the audience has no idea who George Burns was. Right? Yeah, that make us feel good. Thank you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So then, what, what's the solution, guys? So the photographers that are out there are like, okay, I get it. The digital model releases may not hold water, so I'll get paper. Um, you guys have samples in the photographer survival manual uh, that they can use and start from. But if they do that, should they should they take the releases that you guys have and then run them by someone local for their in their particular state, or what? What would be the next steps? That is never a bad idea, 
But the New York law, which requires a signed, written, not a release, is really the gold standard. If you've satisfied the New York statute, then the odds are really good, 99.9% that you're good everywhere. Now, New York is important not because we live here and that our wives live here, at least, <laughs> at least Jack's wife. But anyhow, the important thing is that the New York law applies to any image that is used in the state of New York. Mm-hmm. So if it's, in a, if it's in a book, if it's on a beer package, if it's on a uh, Clairol box, if it's in a magazine that is sold in the state of New York, you need that signed written my release so if you have that you're satisfied new york you've basically satisfied the law in california and just about every other state in the union so what amazes me is that photographers spend a tremendous amount of time bsing with each other about gosh golly gee what if do i need a model release Mm -hmm. when all they have to do is take a piece of paper Use a carbonized form or make a Xerox or make a pad of forms and have the person sign it and date it and give them a copy. Now, when Ed says a pad of releases, that's a psychological thing that we try and recommend to people like shooting in the streets or shooting a lot of strangers. Get a pad of, of your releases. You know, just get a printer to make them up. It, it should be simple language. It shouldn't scare anybody when they see it. Yeah. And our releases don't. They're plain English. There's nothing legalese about them. It's and not like of, it shouldn't be like reading Facebook's terms of service or something, right? No, it's not exactly. at all. And one of the first things you'll notice in our release, we do not put the term uh, for valuable consideration. Hmm. You do it, it, and every time we say this, people say, "Oh, you know, if you don't give them a dollar, if you don't give them valuable consideration, it's not a contract, and it's not a valid contract." Guess what? A model release is not a contract. In mo- it's a release. In most states, not in all, but in most states, a model release does not have to fulfill all the legal requirements of a contract that you would need, for example, for a, for a home improvement company to uh, build you a new kitchen. Just like when you go to a store, and now this concept is so simple that it flies over the heads of non-lawyers. When you go to Walmart and you buy groceries... Well, you buy a snowblower, you get a receipt. Now, that's not a contract. Right. It's receipt. It's proof of purchase, and it's perfectly valid legal proof of purchase. It's not a contract. So, what on the on the photographer side? So, a photographer. Here's a scenario: the photographer finds a model on online. They set up a time to go shoot. He says, "Okay, I'm going to pay you a hundred dollars an hour, or whatever." And they they do the shoot. He produces the model release that he had printed based on the suggestions in your book. You know, he has the pad with the carbon in there. He gives her a copy of it. What else does he need to give her? Does he does? Is there an invoice involved or some? What else no, can no. he do to protect himself the most? Well, first of all, have her sign the release before you shoot. Okay. There's a lot of problems I've seen come up with with things going on afterwards. Also, it, the scenario that you're talking about, it's it's not a, a commercial use where it's not like I'm calling a modeling agency and the model has a voucher and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm calling someone like you mentioned, like someone like uh, Model Mayhem, um, where you're getting somebody in and maybe you're shooting something that's a semi-nude or a nude. Mm-hmm. Well, have that in your release. Just because it's a model release may not cover you. There's a whole area we talk about, which is sensitive issues. Sensitive issue releases should be specific for things 
like that. If you think you're going to have anything um, uh, that might go to a pharmaceutical company or is something that is a little risque of any kind, you need to have a release that specifically states that so there's no ambiguity about it. Here are some real – and the the examples that we use, and uh, I only use real-life examples because I have enough material that I don't have to make any of the facts up. I change names. Uh, and I may change the name of a disease or whatever here and there, but the facts are the same. We've had cases where uh, a seven-year-old child was in an ad uh, which portrayed her as a drug abuser. We've had claims uh, or cases where a model was portrayed as having herpes or AIDS. And there are special releases if the model is going to have alcohol. Uh, the Alcohol Trade Association has a beer code. If you're using somebody in an advertisement for beer, the person doesn't have to be 21. The person has to appear, not only has to be 21, but has to appear to be 25. And when you have uh, anything that involves nudity, anything to do with a contagious disease, anything that might make the model look like she, uh, you know, has a a condition that uh, may not be flattering, shall we say. You want them to sign off very, very specifically on the release. That's why you'll see TV commercials in particular where it will say actor portrayal. Oh, yeah. And now if an adult is willing and doesn't care because the model, as a model, he or she is getting paid enough to portray, uh, let's say, someone with uh, with uh, AIDS, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously – Actors portray AIDS victims on TV shows or rape victims on TV shows all the time. Nobody gives it a second thought because it's a theatrical event. Having said that, if you use a child, for example, even in a Law and Order episode where the child is, let's say, 13, and in the episode, uh, supposedly the child is playing a rape victim, that contract has to be specially approved, uh, sometimes and typically by a judge. So... No release is a one-size-fits-all when you're dealing with sensitive topics, drugs, sex, um, uh, crimes, and, and so on. Viagra. Viagra. Well, see, that's, that's worrisome. Not the, not the Viagra thing. I, I'm not worried about that yet. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but specifically about the, nude, the nudity piece of it, right? So the photographer, there's a lot of photographers that shoot this glamour and boudoir type type suggestive shots and even fully nude shots. Do they, are they putting themselves at risk by not getting an iron clay? Because who can afford to go seek lawyer's counsel every time they're going to do a shoot? Well, you use the form. Well, you know, that's, that's one of the misconceptions. And one of the things that scares the hell out of photographers is that they're scared to talk to a lawyer. Yeah. And you're not talking about hiring someone to, to do a big case. You're talking about going to somebody for an hour, maybe two hours to go over your paperwork and it's it's a little money up front that's going to save you a lot of aggravation in eating your liver later. It's a, it's a one-time deal. I've represented thousands of photographers and, and many models and model agencies over the years. And, you know, I wrote the model voucher that was used by, you know, many agencies, and they still use it. It was a one-time fee, and people stole my uh, my format, which was frankly fine with me, I didn't care. But if a photographer comes to me 
and we customize their forms. Essentially, they're taking the form that we give them in a book and we customize it a little bit. So the photographer is winding up paying us a few hundred bucks and that form is good for a lifetime. If the form is incorrect uh, and we can go into horror stories, if a comma is in the wrong place, like we've written on our blog, a photographer could lose tens of thousands of dollars. For a misplacement of a comma. Uh, That's right. We have an example of that where by misplacing a comma, he expanded the usage of what he did and the client noticed and they took full advantage. And if they had to um, license that usage, you're talking about a, a hefty fee to the photographer. And he lost that simply because of a misplaced comma. And, and, and that misplaced comma, there's tons of examples where the government uh, on a tax thing lost millions of dollars because of a misplaced comma. Um, it's, it, Frederick, i got to ask you, do you have camera insurance for your cameras? Uh, I, I refuse to answer that question on the grounds of being incriminated. <laughs> assume is most taking the fifth do, that you do you're uh, drinking a fifth <laughs> no i'm pleading it i'm gonna drink it after this <laughs> yeah i mean the green room all we got was a bunch of flowers yeah <laughs> expecting bourbon yeah. hey you know this is digital that's how we roll <laughs> but but uh, the point the point is um the point on that is that most people have insurance for the cameras they don't think about business insurance uh, or some do uh, this is just another form of business insurance. I mean, one of the things we talk about all the time is a whole other subject is copyright. Um, the best thing you can do to protect your images and what really is image insurance is registering your copy your um, images at the copyright office, which a lot of photographers don't know or understand. They assume that they have their copyright, and if somebody infringes, I can sue. Mm -hmm. And then they find out the hard way that that's not quite the way it works. If they don't register their work before the infringement, um, they're not in great shape. And a lot, of, um, a lot of people who steal images know this. A lot of infringers know uh, that if it's not registered, um, there's really not a lot. Well, to do. well, we, we, Jack, and I, it it depends. You shouldn't make that, we shouldn't make that as a blanket statement. But um, I'm going to be uh, egotistical here because I can't wait to to go home and tell my wife. Uh, Jack knows this. Uh, I had a client come in today who's an illustrator, and um, she brought in the examples of the multiple thefts of her images. And of course, my first question to her is. Did you register these images? Mm -hmm. And she said, yes. And I have a statue of St. Jude in my office who I looked right at and said, yes. And I said, when did you register them? And she said, in 2009. And I pumped my fist again. And as a Jet fan, I don't get a chance to do that too much. And I said, why did you register in 2009? And God bless you for so doing. And she said to me, because I saw you speak at Photoshop World. And I was captivated by you, and I immediately went out and registered all my images. Now, I'm going to go home and tell that to my wife, which will, of course, not change her opinion, her low opinion of me. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, this woman saw Jack and I uh, at, uh, at Photoshop World in Vegas, and we explained to her and to everybody there why that registration can change your life. Now, in this particular case, and this is no exaggeration, in this particular case, uh, this woman now has a case that was potentially worth maybe 20 grand, which is now worth potentially, potentially a million dollars. 
Wow. And wow. that's enough. The difference between the two is not only enough to sue on, but it's enough to send her kids to college. And by the way, because she registered it, uh, if as and when the case gets tried and we win as opposed to settled, she gets all of her attorney's fees back. So because she spent $35 registering a hundred of her illustrations, the difference at the end of the day, and I'm going to be conservative, the, the difference at the end of the day will be tens of thousands of dollars, and that's being conservative. So the main reason to register is because it puts money in your pocket. It generally will make you more money than you make shooting photographs. Now, how long does it take to do that? So, that, so you're, how do you work that into your workflow? And is it going to take me like two hours out of my day to get my images registered or what? Well, let me, I'm going to interrupt Jack, and then I'm going to and then I'm going to let him, and then I'm going to let him roll. Mm -hmm. It's so simple that I teach my clients' children to register their images for their parents. So I have nine, ten, and eleven-year-olds registering their images for their professional photographer parents. Yeah, so, because it's online, and you know, it's like if you have a computer problem, you go to an eleven-year-old. What else is new? Of course, yeah. <laughs> I will tell you, it's it's not difficult. Um, uh, there are a couple little things. Generally, figure the first time you do it, it might take you about an hour uh, to go through screen by screen and understand what's going on. Um, after that, it should take you no more than like 20 minutes. I mean, that's all it takes me to register like 5,000 images. And it's it's $35 per application. So you're not doing one picture per application. I want to send in as many unpublished images and that's another issue that it has to be before you publish them and publish it means presented to the public um so if you're putting it on facebook you're publishing it mm. i put anything on on any social media uh before it's registered i don't send pictures to anybody before it's registered so it's, are, are you out of luck if you have put if people put all their images on facebook and someone infringes oh, on no, them no, not at all not at all it, it just is a different process and, and it's uh takes you a little bit longer to do it um uh, be, because you you have to you have to segregate them a little bit more yeah. um but uh it's just a lot easier just to do it automatically uh to me it's a cost of doing business I've had several suits on copyright infringements, and Mr. Greenberg has put enough money into my bank account that I don't worry about spending $35 on doing this. I'll never cover um, – it'll never cost me what I've recovered uh, from the cases that I've had. Let and, me put it that way. And you'd think he'd buy me a bottle of bourbon, but <laughs> – Okay, before we continue, I want to thank our sponsor, the sole sponsor of this week's episode, and that's Squarespace.com. Squarespace – the new Squarespace actually has officially launched, and they're, uh, they're doing some pretty interesting things that are targeted at us, photographers, that can really make our photography pop. Now, one of those things is the templates, new designs and templates. So you can find those and peek at them at new.squarespace.com slash templates. And these templates are designed to showcase your photos in a gallery, a collage, a slideshow, Basically, a wrapper to make your work pop off the page and look at, look its best. Um, a lot of people have been asking about that feature, and now it's there. So definitely go check out those templates. And it, the, to put your your website and your 
or your uh, gallery online with Squarespace. All you got to do is drag and drop your images in there. The drag and drop interface with Squarespace is exceedingly easy and really easy to manage. So definitely check that out. Also, they've got the, as I mentioned before, they have this new thing called responsive design. So how that reflects in photography is your content resizes to and restructures to fit on whatever device is looking at it. So the images, the surrounding architecture around those images, if someone's looking at that on an iPad or an iPhone or an Android device or a proper computer, things scale down or up depending on what looks best for that particular device. You don't have to worry about creating multiple versions or sacrificing or compromising the design because, you know, hey, most of my most of my viewers are looking at it on a proper computer, so who cares about the iPhone people or the Android people? You don't have to make those sacrifices anymore. The the site will be smart enough to serve up what is proper for that particular person. So I would definitely go check it out. You can uh, play around with the trial. You don't even need a credit card to set up an account. Just go to squarespace.com slash twip, set up your free trial, and use the offer code twip10 uh, when you purchase, and they'll give you a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com, and use the offer code TWIP10 for a 10% discount. All right, we're going to jump back into the interview now with Ed uh, Greenberg and Jack Resnicki. Now, let's talk about social. Just some, some, rules, some rules of thumb for, for social media for photographers. I'm, and I'm guilty of it, too. You know, some photographers are like, hey, I just shot this cool HDR image. I want to share it with all my Twitter, Facebook, and Google+. Oh, yeah, Plus just give it, yeah, just give it away. Yeah, oh, so that's and that's what they do. You'll just put it online, and then, the, and then what? I mean, what, what should they be doing instead of just saying, hey, look at this great image. I want to show everybody. Well, what, you, you, you should have it registered before you do it. Also, read the terms of service for all these places. Some of them allow third-party usages, like that girl that shot the... Um, uh, the shuttle that went up for the last time, and she shot a, a shot from uh, um, the an airplane that she was a passenger on, mm-hmm. and it went viral, and everybody picked it up. Well, she because of where she put it, I don't remember if it was Flickr or what it was. It was a um, um, there's another client calling Ed. Um, uh, she was basically out of luck, and images like that people don't realize when when. When the news media gets it and they syndicate it, just how much money it's worth. Um, Frederick, before we get a little further in this, I do want to back up just a bit on uh, the copyright. And do mention in our book um, that we have, it's very inexpensive if you get it on Amazon, uh, Photographer Survival Manual. We do have a screen-by-screen, step-by-step how to register. Oh, okay. uh, Which is helpful. I did want to just uh, uh, jump that in. Um, And a further plug... If anybody uh, listening is a member or of Kelby Training, you can go online, and there are several DVDs and online uh, classes that Jack and I have given on. One is on paperwork, one is on model releases, and one is a step-by-step walkthrough on uh, registration. Perfect. Yeah, I, and if you buy the book, which I think we get about three cents uh, once we get past the um, um, the accountants. I get $500. You get three cents. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Who negotiated that contract? <laughs> Duh. Uh, I, I got to tell you, the um, um, I think they have the same accountants that uh, they use in Hollywood for the movies, but that's another story. <laughs> now, is the is the book available digitally anywhere? Like, can we get it in, in iBooks or uh, on Kindle? Well, what we're moving towards now is... Uh, the answer to that is no. No. The answer is, as of today, no. 
Okay. That will uh, change in the future. Um, but yeah, the book is uh, available. And uh, for people who buy the book or have questions, they can contact us through the Copyright Zone. So if there's something that they need that we can supply them with, uh, it's not a problem. Now, are, lot- there, are there copies of or PDFs of the model releases and that, those sorts of templates over on the Copyright Zone? Not, not um, PDFs, but uh, you, you have to copy them by hand, basically, okay. because of the publisher. But the book is like fifteen dollars, I think, on Amazon. It's yeah, really, uh, it's really marked down quite a bit. And it's written in a style for photographers and illustrators. I call it short attention span theater. Yes. You can read the whole book in about an hour and a half. And one of the critical things is you can pick it up while you're having a coffee, put it down, and then pick it up twenty five minutes later. Um, and uh, it's plain English. It's plain English, and there's lots of cartoons in it. Yeah, yeah but I, I got to tell you, my favorite photo in the book is on page 54, and it's uh, a picture of you guys looking like the Blue Man Group. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's our, our logo on our blog, and it's it's uh, the reason we do that is we say we talk until we're blue in the face on this stuff, <laughs> and um, it's amazing how many people. How few people really listen, and how many people listen, and they go, oh, yeah, and oh, that's wonderful, and that's great, and then they don't do anything we say until they call Ed. Ten minutes before we uh, went on with you today, and Jack is my witness. That's how lame my case is. Jack is my witness. It sounds like Gone from the Wind. Is this from Gone from the Wind? Right. As Jack is my witness. As Jack is my witness, (laughs) a client who, shall we say, is old enough to remember the Eisenhower presidency. Okay. Wow. Okay. Calls up with a uh, who I've represented numerous times and who I've lectured and screamed at a million times. Uh, did a job without any paperwork whatsoever, and of course I yelled and screamed at him and saying, "Who works without paperwork? If a if a guy comes in to put in a fluorescent fixture in your house, don't you have paperwork? If someone comes in to do some sheetrock, someone if you buy carpet, if you bring your car in to have the brakes fixed." Photographers who like to think with the other side of the brain think that for some reason they don't need to use paperwork like every other business person in America does. And the importance of the paperwork for a photographer or creative is even greater because an illustrator, a photographer, an artist retains an intellectual property right. Given to him by the United States Constitution, it was there before the freedom of before freedom of speech, before freedom of the press. The only right that's mentioned in the original Constitution is the right to copyright. So you don't sell your photographs; you license them, just like when you go to Hertz, you rent the car, you yeah. license your photograph, you permit someone if it could be uh, Home Depot. Home Depot has the right to use your photograph for 12 months for $10,000 in the store. You continue to own that photograph. So if there's any profession where paperwork is really critical so that your client knows that you still own the copyright in the image that you're letting them use, it's photographers, artists, and illustrators. So... Logic would dictate that they would be the most vigilant, and in real life, they're the least vigilant. And that's All a right. nice so, so, Ed, tell me this. So 
jumping back to the, uh, you know, we went through the whole, the, the, uh, the role-playing exercise of the photographer that was using digital model releases and trying Admit to see. Admit it, Frederick, you're into role-playing. Mm-hmm. Admit it. <laughs> see, you're going to kill me. You're killing me here. So in that instance. Don't touch you. We, in New York, we don't judge. No, in no. That, in that, you see how I'm rolling right over that? See that? Just rolling right <laughs> In that instance, if a photographer had, say, been using one of these apps for the last year and a half, two years or whatever, and they've shot 30 models and people and happily having them sign digital model releases in the, in his or her iPhone, are they just out of luck? I mean, no, should, no, they, no, no, uh, no. Number one, they may... Let me handle a little bit of this. Because okay. one of the things, the good thing about having Ed and me, there's things that Ed will say um, and things that Ed... Is a lawyer. I mean, there's things that he won't say because he's a lawyer. I'm a photographer, and I'll tell you, if you have nothing else, get that signed. Get something signed. It, it will have, um, and I hate to keep going into this track, but it is a legal definition. It will give you probably some protection, and as lawyers like to say, it's a prophylactic protection in yeah, some you cases. Stole my favorite words, you know, <laughs> um, meaning that um, the person knows that they signed a release. And, and those apps do send something to them. Now, if they're smart enough to go to a lawyer and the lawyer's smart enough, they may be able to um, break the release. But I, I think the odds of that are um, – the odds are probably in your favor. And if you have nothing else, um, have the, the app with you and have somebody sign it. But you are much better off having a paper release. And we jumped over that a while ago. I do want to say again, if you're on the street shooting, and the reason we say to have a pad of releases Mm -hmm. is, first of all, if it's a pad of releases, it looks like other people have signed it. Um, In other words... Leave copies. Leave leave like the first 10, even if you have to wink, wink, make them up. Yeah, have have your friends, have other people just sign them. So if you're on the street and somebody throws a release to you and it's all by itself, it's like, I'm not signing it. Well, especially in New York. Mm -hmm. People will go, what are you, nuts? I'm not signing it. But if it's a pad of releases and other people have signed it, there's a, um, um, a crowd mentality that helps to take over that's a great tip that that reminds me of i live in a newer a newer community and these vendors come by and they invariably say like they're selling home security systems they'll say hey your neighbor john across the street just signed up with us would you like to sign up well let 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 me uh piggyback on that uh on that point and and i want to get to use my the the prophylactic word um (laughs) People I'm and a little further away from me now. Every good every prophylactic good, Viagra. I'm right. seeing I'm I'm seeing a theme here, Ed. What's going we'll on? Down, we'll bring you down to the gutter. Don't worry. <laughs> every good magician, every good mentalist, every good con man, and every good lawyer knows that most people believe that when they sign something, it's real, valid, and binding, even when it's not. So there is a prophylactic value in that the person says, oops, I signed the release. They may not even dream of calling a lawyer because they'll say, oh, I signed it away. They may or may not be right. So people out there who may have 20, 50 uh, releases, there's no reason for them to get hysterical um, you know, at this point um, at all because most people are going to believe – exactly what's you know exactly what is there and as jack says 
even if the release is somewhat shaky, the odds of them ever getting to a lawyer and questioning it are remote. Yeah. From so, now on, starting, you know, starting, what song is that? Starting now, starting here. Everything's coming up roses. Okay. Oh, there we go. Oh, oh, oh. That's, a, that's a very, very stretched reference to uh, what's the show? What's the show? Uh, that's I don't good. know, but I'm, I'm hearing show tunes <laughs> out of you, Ed. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're bringing up Ethel Gypsy, Murphy. Gypsy, Gypsy, Gypsy. You're bringing up Ethel Starting Murphy. here, starting now. Shows. Yes. I definitely am sitting further away yes, from you. Yes, yes. Um, do it, you know, do it correctly. There's no reason not to do it correctly from from now on. And this requires no expenditure of time to have the model release, which simply and straightforwardly says that the model is consenting to a specific or a uh, buffet of uses and give the model a copy so that he the subject or the model so that he or she has that copy in their grubby paws. And they're less likely to ever rear their ugly heads in your life again. Yeah, I have a friend who's um, uh, down in Florida, Bill Bachman. Um, he came up and, and gave a lecture here uh, to the um, it was the APA group. And uh, Bill has always been like one of the top three uh, stock sellers in the world. Uh, he's he's with a huge number of stock agencies, not just one or two. He's He's with dozens of agencies, and his work sells all the time, and he has a simple rule. He shoots all around the world, and if he doesn't get a release, he throws a picture away. He doesn't use it. He said without a release to him, it's worthless. He always makes sure he has a good signed release, no matter where he is. How, how does that translate overseas? Say you're, you're, in, you're in the middle of, say, Africa or something, and you're, you're doing a documentary about you know, children over there. How does that translate? Well, do you do you whip out the pad of paper and say, "Hey, sign this"? Or how does that work? Different, different, yeah, he, different photojournalists have different uh, approaches. Paul Lerner, who was our dear friend who passed away recently, did a lot of work in Afghanistan, and she would get she had a translator, she had a fixer there with her in our trips to Afghanistan, and she had releases that were uh, in native languages, as a lot of photojournalists do. Sometimes there's a translator who will sign uh, the translation that they've explained it to the person. Uh, there's a – should I tell the Kenya story? Um, you have to now. You, you let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> okay. This, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk as a fast-talking New York uh, Jewish lawyer, which I don't know if you I can – You happen to be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> True story, my hand to God. Um, and we've spoken about this case that uh, comes up in every lecture and it's in the book. Um, I get a call one day from one of my clients who works for an ad agency and he says, my wife is coming to see you in 10 minutes. And I said, Bernie, I didn't even know you were married. She says, she's coming in 10 minutes and you're going to see her. And I said, how do you know I'm not busy? He says, trust me, you're going to see her. And a beautiful Black woman, about 5'11", and I'm 5'7", and that's stretching it, walks in. She's stunning, and she says, Bernie sent me. And I said, that's a great straight line, which I'm going to leave alone. And she says she thinks she'll be interested in this. And the story is, is that this young lady was working in Kenya, and there was a period of time during which she was working at a restaurant in Kenya, there were some photo shoots being done on location. She was catering the shoots because she had a restaurant there. One thing led to another, and over a period of time, she became a photo stylist 
and she taught the photographers what, you know, local custom, local fashion, and she became a fixer, and she became a prop stylist, et cetera, et cetera. Well, one day, one of these photographers, a big name who had been around a long time, making a lot of money, decided to take a picture of her, and she didn't know it. Well, unbeknownst to the photographer, that un- unbeknownst to her, rather, that photograph wound up on a box of a perfume that was for sale in Bloomingdale's. Bernie and his new bride lived across the street from Bloomingdale's. <laughs> and as soon as they got back from their honeymoon, this woman from Kenya, the first thing she did in New York is the first thing any woman does in New York is she went to Bloomingdale's. It's the law. It's the law. <laughs> Even though she wasn't Jewish, she went to Bloomingdale's, where she was greeted in the perfume section Assaulted. by a six foot four beautiful blonde model who said, would you like to try our new perfume? And she looks at the bottle and there she is in the bottle and mm. she's thrilled to death and she runs home and she says, Bernie, Bernie, look, and she's thrilled. And Bernie says, um, here's 10 bucks, get in a cab, go see Greenberg. When I got in touch with the photographer, when I wrote the letter to the photographer, I said, you know, you have no release. He called me up and he says, you got me. Now, I knew the photographer by reputation and I said, John, not his real name. Yeah. How could you be so stupid? How could you do a consumer product and not get a release? And he said to me, what are the odds that some woman living in the middle of Kenya is going to marry some guy who works at at Young and Rubicam, who happens to be a client of yours, who happens to live across the street from the only store in the United States that is selling the product? What are the odds? To which I told him, well, the odds in the city of New York are one in a million eight times a day. (laughs) And he, you know, and it was resolved and everything. But the point point being is the odds are in the billions. But that photographer wrote a check which reflected a substantial amount of money and uh, is enough to send somebody to a few years of college. Wow. That's amazing. It goes under the category we call "you never know." Yeah, yeah, and CYA. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, so then if you guys, so we'll we'll wrap it up here. So, if you guys were going to give the the photographers that are listening to this, their heads are spinning. They probably ordered the book already on Amazon. But if you're going to give them one next step to do after they after we end this interview, what would the next very next step be for them to do in order to get on the right track in terms of making sure they're doing the correct CYA processes. It's getting your paperwork in order. It's it's Invoice. making sure your invoices. Your invoices. One of the things we also have in the book is a sample invoice. And I mean, it really is a sample is to use uh, as a template to correct your own invoices. It has nine items on it. It has terms and conditions that should be on the back of all your invoices. Um, and, and get advice from a lawyer. And understand that when if if you're a commercial photographer getting purchase orders from an ad agency that nothing is written in stone you know that you can uh, alter and adjust but it, it's really paperwork the the, the two things that probably sum up everything we do is good paperwork on your end that you're providing to somebody else and register all your images 
register, 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 all, all, all your images. And when I say all, people say, well, should I cut out, you know, like the bad exposures or if I got this or that? I said, no. When when I finish something or I come back from vacation or I finish a job. And he's I, got plenty of bad exposures. <laughs> I, I take every single thing I have, uh, even if it's a picture of a wall because I'm shooting, you know, things like that for texture. Yeah. I register everything because if I start editing it, it's one more step to prevent me from registering it. It doesn't cost any more to register you know, a thousand images or three thousand images. So why am I editing it down? So also, here, here's a devil's advocate question, though. A photographer may be saying, "Okay, that's great. I'll register everything. I'll put it up there." But how in the world am I going to know if someone's infringing on my work? Okay, right? let, let me let me pick up on that. First of all, one thing to add to to what Jack says. Uh, the other, you know, we're giving you the invoices. We're giving you the paperwork. Use it. You know, it's pretty simple. Do not listen or read and accept anything you read on a blog merely because a photographer or an art director has said it. They're probably wrong. They're not lawyers. They don't know what they're talking about, and they're keeping us in business. Yeah, we've, we've seen it, unfortunately, too many times, and Ed gets the frantic phone yeah. call from a photographer, and people say, oh, well, what are the odds of that happening? And I've got to tell you, every time I come to Ed's office, there's a couple phone calls, and I'm just sitting in a corner Basically, and uh, sometimes Ed shoes me out, you know, shoo me out, you know, get out of here. But sometimes I just sit there and I can hear part of the conversation and it's like, here it is again. It's, it's you know, nobody's calling Ed to tell him good things or calling Ed with problems. Well, with uh, winning lotto tickets. Um, but I'm sorry, I lost. What was, the, what was the question? I lost the question there. So you, you registered, say, you know, 100,000 of your images. Photographers are probably like, how do you, how do you know? Okay. There are some companies out there which um, uh, I hate to bring people some bad news. There are some companies out there which purport to follow the web to follow for infringement for you, and they seek a fee to do that. Well, the web is growing so fast, and the percentage of the web that these companies follow is a tiny percentage of 1%. And the web grows exponentially faster than these services can look for your images on the web. That's number one. Number two, the really good copyright cases that I have had have little to do with web use. I'm looking around the office, and the best copyright cases were images used on uh, six-packs of beer, on clothing, on Labels for clothing on Broadway shows. Uh, uh, It was used as the background in Fela, the Broadway show, on shoe boxes, on hair color boxes. And none of those things would show up on a web search. So you have to be extremely vigilant. You have to be looking for your pictures. And there's one thing that you can do easily, and it doesn't cost you a dime, and that is to do a Google image search with regularity, have someone in your studio do it, you do it, have your, have your kid do it, or get an intern from a local college who you won't have to pay. They'll do it for, for uh, college credit to do a Google image search to drop your image in there, and it costs you nothing. Yeah, when Google change their image search where you can drag and drop an image. Mm-hmm. I, I just looked it up really quick. Um, I grabbed one of my images from my website just to to see. And guess what? I found an infringement. 
the next thing I did was call Ed. I mean, and that was the first day that they had. When you go to Google Images and you go into the input box, you know, to put in what you're going to do, mm-hmm. there's a little tiny, tiny little camera off to the right. If you click on that camera, you get another input box where you can drag and drop your images in. It's very simple. It searches the entire uh, Internet for it. Um, there's another service uh, that's free called TinEye.com. Um, I don't know if their search engine is as good as um, Google Images, uh, but it's another source of doing it. So while people are worried about the Internet and what happens, while it's made it easier to rip off some of your images in some cases, it's also made it real easy to find your images on the Internet. And one last thing, too, I guess we are going to have to wrap this up. Um, one of the things we've also been finding on the Internet that's a huge mistake by photographers is they're asking other photographers for advice on how to price jobs. Mm-hmm. And they're putting in enough specifics or even naming the clients. Naming names, naming the clients, which, uh, first of all, I represent some art directors, and I have one art director, and she's a pretty powerful character. And she said she saw that, and she saw that one of the photographers in a job that they were negotiating – used the name of her client and said, you know, he was asking for X number of dollars for Y type of use. And he was soliciting opinions from other photographers, whether he was bidding too high or too low. Well, she read it and she called him and she said, you're done. Not only are you never going to bid on this job, you're never going to work for this big agency ever again. We have negotiations with you, and we assume that those negotiations are private. Let me bring up one thing that I I tell my students and and when I lecture, that I'm surprised how many people don't know about this, and it's very, very simple, and all the companies know it, and it's how this art buyer, I'm sure, found out about this, something called Google Alerts. Google Alerts is you go to Google, you find Google Alerts, you put in what you want an alert on. When it shows up on the Internet, you get it. Now, with a name like Riznicki, it's wonderful. When I go do a lecture at like Photoshop World and people post things on their blogs, I get a Google alert on it. If you're a company, believe me, you have Google alerts on your company name and all sorts of variations and all sorts of things that they might be interested in. And product in. names. So, if, if Frederick, do you, do you have a Google alert on your name? I do. I have a Google alert on my name, on my on this week in photo, pretty much everything, and I I got and I have them filtered down into a folder that says alerts. Okay, so what makes you think, or what makes photographers think that art buyers and art directors in agencies, big and small across this great land of ours, haven't done the very same thing? Yeah. Yeah. What makes photographers think that people who work at ad agencies or people who have in-house advertise who, who do their advertising in-house don't read photographers' blogs and chat rooms? That's right. They well, do. Well, let me wrap this up with adding one more thing to what we're going to wrap up with. Which sure. If there's three things you leave with on, on this, uh, I guess this is a discussion. I don't know what else to call it. Um, get your paperwork in order. Register all your images. Get a Google alert. Those three things. So register paperwork, get everything in order, and put a put a Google alert in place to get remind you every day of of a certain of certain search terms, right? And if you have a medical problem, call a doctor. If you have a dental problem, call a dentist. And if you have an accounting problem, call an accountant. And if you have a legal problem, call a lawyer. Don't ask for a photog. Don't ask for a photographer for specialized help in a field 
that he has no knowledge of other than he happens to do the same thing you do for a living. If it's a tax question, call an accountant, not a photographer. Perfect. Call it. Call a professional. So where where would you like you both of you guys like uh, the listeners to go to uh, check out and learn more about this stuff? Um, well, we do have a blog when when we have the time. It, it's called the copyright it, the whole word the copyright zone dot com, um, and they can also read our musings on uh, Photoshop User Magazine if if they're a member of uh, NAP and get that magazine. Um, and uh, our book, of course, the Photographer's Survival Manual, uh, now in its second printing. Um, we sold out the first printing. Uh, we know a lot of colleges are using it now as a course book also. Um, and we said the book is, is something like 15 bucks now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Amazon's incredible. Um, wow, that's great. Well, that's perfect. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to to demystify this stuff. I think you you put the fear in me and a lot of people. So job well done. Thank you for this. Well, you know, it's a good if you, if your paperwork is in order, you'll sleep better. Yeah. And again, if you're a jet fan, you know, we don't Forget sleep. <laughs> I'm a giant fan. Yeah, so we should we should give your email address out Ed, just so people can send their hate mail over to you. Oh, hate mail. I, I love hate mail. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. I, I love hate mail so much, I wish I should run for office. Yeah, with it, don't send hate mail to a lawyer, right? <laughs> if you want to contact me directly if you want to ask me a question that you don't want others to see on the copyright zone. Uh, you can send it to me at E, C, as in Charles, G, as in George, L, as in Lucky, A, W, at gmail.com. Or you can send it to the copy. Go ahead. Uh, well, the copyright zone.com. Uh, info at thecopyrightzone.com, or you can send it to me, Jack, at photonews.net. Perfect. And if it's a technical question about uh, anything to do uh, about uh, when, during registration, about what size and what format you should use, do not ask me. Those questions should be addressed to Jack. Yeah, or to your photographer survival's manual, right? <laughs> Yes, not me. I am not. A, I am not the technical expert. I know that which I don't know. Awesome. Yeah, that's very good. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Um, this has been perfect. I think this we'll probably end up making this show or this interview a complete show on its own. So this is uh, this is this is some digital gold right here. Thank you. Can for I that. select a new co-star? <laughs> no, no cannot. We can change Jack's voice though digitally to make it more high pitched if you want. <laughs> I would. I would. How about a little lower? I'd like it a little. <laughs> I would lower. prefer something more along the lines of Salma Hayek. No, I think you have a fixation on Selma. I think I'm, I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot of Selma Hayek in this conversation. Well, Sophie Vergara can do it too. I'll, I'll either one, who's ever available. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you. Thanks. Okay, bye bye. All right, that was Mr. Ed Greenberg and Jack Resnicki, the co-authors of the Photographer's Survival Manual. A legal guide for artists in the digital age. They're also the guys behind thecopyrightzone.com. So be sure to check them out there. And as always, if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, you can check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. And also, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to stay on top of our newest shows and also to go back and listen to our greatest hits after the fact. And finally, if you're looking for me, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. Thank you.
TV production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.